to Big Red Couch, the podcast about making role-playing games. A group of GMs and players draw ideas from the mystery box and bring their game pitches to you. Good morning, listeners, and welcome to this episode 106 of The Big Red Couch. Here in my kitchen, possibly joined by a special guest appearance by The Fridge, I'm Craig, and on the other side of the planet... It's Ben. Hello, Fridge. The Fridge is ignoring you, dude. Yeah. It's a very standoffish Fridge, to be honest. <laughs> Cold, you might even say. Positive, positively frosty in places. <laughs> you get that scene too. Excellent. Mm. We're, off to a, we're off to an excellent start. Okay. So, what have we got for our audience today? Today's prompt comes to us from the fertile brain of John Ryan. Mm. And reads, survivors of World War Three living on an abandoned colony. Only it doesn't. And this is where we hand over to Ben. Yeah, I don't know what happened. Because the card clearly says O'Neill Colony. Though the number of L's was incorrect on the card, which I'm not going to blame on John. And for some reason I elided that from the heading in when, we, when we logged it in. I don't know whether I thought O'Neill... Oh, not more Stargate... Damn it, I was trying to figure out a way of making that joke. <laughs> I, I know, I know. Um, but yeah, I, maybe I thought it was too specific. It's a, it is pretty specific. I mean, we can we can talk about O'Neill colonies. Um, I, I do have an idea based on the, the O'Neill colony bit, but um, it's kind of a sub-idea. There's a lot of implications, but all of the all of the, the parts of the, the prompt have got pretty big implications. So, yeah. Uh, now, do we also have some stuff for the last episode that didn't quite make it in? I thought we did. Ah, uh, yes, yeah, some, some, some post-thoughts. Excellent. That sounded creepier than it needed to. Oh, and point of fact, there was also an additional note. How do you survive in an artificial environment that's breaking down? John kind of gave us the whole pitch. You are in space. Space wants in. You don't. Yeah, you'd like it to stay where it belongs. On the outside. On the outside, yes. And you can build lot. You can build that as the, the the environment for a game, but it does kind of imply, plus you know the 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 implication of World War Three and so forth, that it's a fairly it's a fairly fixed setting. But yep, I guess we we can we can talk to that. Mm, well, I mean, when I started trying to do my okay, let's break down what these words mean thing before realizing that I was actually getting nowhere with that, and so just went with it's the vibe, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it did occur to me that um, you know, something I was getting hung up on a bit was the fact that it's an abandoned colony. That is a cons- that does raise a lot of questions. I mean, colonies get abandoned, but generally only because they run out of what they are intended to provide to the colonizers. Sometimes that's living space and you know survival things. Sometimes it's resources. Sometimes it's you know institutionalized racism etc 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 but yeah generally it means that something's gone terribly wrong with the colony it's no longer viable if that occurs in space you've got several issues and the other thing is that if it's a orbital colony it's going to have a significant dollar value associated with it as the character from alien says (laughs) why would you abandon it carter j burke you're gonna get that in a second but yeah why would you abandon the thing of significant dollar value? I mean, there's also the... I mean, to me at least, the word colony suggests that 
this is a place that is intended for people to live in rather than just work in and to be maybe not a hundred percent self-sufficient hmm. but it is something that they're thinking of so yeah, the iss is not a colony no scott and mcmurdo bases in antarctica are not colonies no but you could go with say those the, the, the towns in alaska where the town is one building functionally mm. probably count it's needs like supplies and so forth like a lot of you know almost all of the um modern world needs supplies from outside of itself but yeah just in time shipping is just the way it happens yeah but yeah you're right the colony aside from the the um connotations that that are being put on it more and more implies that it's self-sufficient to some degree yeah i'm not sure whether we maybe start with john's one and then kind of expand from there yeah sure just just from sort of a chronology point of view so Mm -hmm. shall i shall i do the reading yeah go for it Okay, so this is John pitching based on the prompt that we put on the episode, not the prompt that he put in. So the O'Neill bit was missing. Yes. So it can't have been that important now, can it, John? <laughs> to be fair, the, the, the card went into the box maybe four years ago. So I, I'm always horrified when I actually remember some of these. Mm. I'm even more horrified by how awful my handwriting is on them, but you know, that's between me and several dozen teachers. Uh, over the years, I won. Just putting that out there. You outlived them. That'll count. Yeah. My falling handwriting outlived them. So, John John writes, Looking at the current prompt, survivors of World War Three are living on an abandoned colony. I've already done it. It's the setting of my game, Kid's Last Tour. The, the, the pitch is, Humanity has fought its last war. People are thin on the ground, but you do find some. Some like Grandpa. He took care of you and your friends. He kept the machines running, made sure everybody had at least one meal a day, that everybody had a warm place to sleep. But then he died. It wasn't a surprise, he was old. And he made sure that you knew what to do when that day came. So you buried him in a pile of rubble, loaded up your vehicle, and off you went into the ruins of the city. Uh, he goes on to say, I've run it several times and I really like how the players invariably going, go looking for some place they can set up a colony. So yeah, it's my submission for this prompt. There will be links in the show notes. Indeed. And having uh, watched the anime that is loosely based on, um, Girl, Girl's Last Tour, is... It's very sweet, a bit weird, but that's on the anime scale of a bit weird. And yeah, it's kind of, it's again one of those, it's a bit sinister for a gentle, one of the the cosy catastrophe things, but the world is vast and empty, and there are signs that there have been battles over the place, but not anything else, really. I mean, there's, it's entirely, almost entirely within the confines of a giant industrial city stacked on stacked with other giant industrial cities, like Hive World kind of thing. Yeah, I think the first episode, they basically spent the entire time in an underground complex that is big enough to drive a vehicle around in. They meet a couple of people, adults, who are very fixated on specific things, but their efforts seem to come to naught. And yeah, it's a it's a very philosophical, kind of somber, but also cute story. It is very cute. Yes. Sort of anime levels of cute. Hell, even the little, the kitten rad, the little uh, half-track motorcycle buggy gizmo was cute. And meticulously mechanically rendered. I, I did go and look those up, yeah. It was sort of a, holy crap, yeah. Okay, I, I remember seeing pictures of those. I mean, we can't really say much more about Kids Last Tour. I haven't tried it out, though. Hmm. I wouldn't mind doing so. 
Yeah. And may have the opportunity at some point in the future. Aha, uh-huh. do you want a tangent at this point? Or are you going to keep the, the audience in suspense? No, I can't do... Um, I can't make that a singular. It's not a thing. No. Our, no, that doesn't work no. at all. Suspense. Suspense. I mean, suspense sounds like what happens when you kept somebody in suspense for so long, they've just stopped caring. <laughs> They're just suspend. <laughs> just worn out. Excellent. Yeah, they, they, they just don't give a rats anymore. Ah. The Big Red Couch. Redefining the English language since... Sometime in 2013, maybe? Yeah, maybe. It rings a bell. <laughs> okay, so, should, should we keep them in suspense and try to come back to it later? Damn it. <laughs> I don't know if that's a victory of any sort, but yeah, sure, let's, let's, let's roll on. I, could, I can take Taz's um, contribution, if you like, because that one I've actually got on my screen. Oh, okay, let's do that. Do that thing. Kick that pig. Okay, from Taz on the Fear the Boot forums. Survivors of World War Three living it on the Ben Colony. Wow, that immediately conjured up some of those old Cold War stories, and most of them did not have a happy ending. World War Three implies the near future. Abandoned colony implies that it was an inhabited colony at one time. That usually means a remote island. <laughs> Everyone, it's the Lost Home Edition. <laughs> could be worse. You could also take a tip of the hat from Charles Stross's A Colder War, where mm. the abandoned colony is not on Earth at all, and is a pocket of humanity that has had to survive in an alien place where the old ones once walked. Yeah, that would be the way to go. Make it a sim using Microscope, Kingdom, Mars Colony, or Shock, and play a bunch of stressed-out people trying to cope, survive, and then toss in the weird. We we will stand for Charlie Stross any day, so that's a, that's a solid pick. I hadn't actually thought of Colony from the more classic Age of Empire viewpoint kind of mentally associated with that that with those days are gone now but that's not a hundred percent true no not really the abandoned colony yeah implies certain other things but yeah that's a that's an interesting one and yeah um a colder war also is where i first ran to the concept of um project pluto project pluto yeah the nuclear ramjet the things that that um comrade chuckles recently said that they were trying to build again <laughs> okay, moving on. You can also do, you can also build them a Kerbal Space Program, which is also terrifying. I should go back to Kerbal Space Program. I did have great fun watching. Uh, I think it's Scott Manley testing out a nuclear pulse drive mod that somebody had built. That was something that yeah, that was the one I was thinking of. Yeah. So and, and for, for for those at home, and I've got a link to a very old school web page somewhere. Which has got it titled uh, "Death from Above." Let's see quickly if I can find it. And um, ah, yes, Moore's Ab Alto. Um, it has a very a, an extensive write-up of how bad an idea a open cycle, open air cycle nuclear pulse jet cruise missile is. Because I'm assuming you're using a nuclear pile mm-hmm. to superheat air for thrust. Mm-hmm. So you're and just spewing shit into the atmosphere. To be fair, anything that is using the 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 thrust from a from a nu- from a nuclear pile to drive air into a nuclear pile to cause thrust is traveling very fast. So any stray like reaction elements that do come out of it leave a tr- uh, leave a very very spread out trail. However, you d- it does it does add up. As we know, yep. radiation does add up, and these things aren't really things that you 
You, the, the idea is that um, using a nuclear pile means they've got extremely long loiter time, maybe weeks. And you just leave them circling somewhere until you need it to do what it's going to do. Wow, that's you, even more hideous than what I was imagining. Oh yeah, once you've started it, you need to use it. Or you need at least to, to plough it into a hillside where no one is going to go for about a million years. Because there isn't an off switch on those things. Um, and the, specifically the description of in Charlie Strauss' book is this, the idea of this thing caterwauling around the enemy country, just dispensing nuclear warheads and eventually just barfing the contents of its reactor on Moscow or wherever, um, you know, as if adding further injury and insult to injury. Adding fuel to the pyre, as it were. Yes. So, cheerful, cheerful stuff. Nice. Okay. Uh, we are talking World War Three ideas, so cheerful stuff is going to happen. The book that I was reminded of when he mentioned the, world, the the Cold War stuff was was something I picked up randomly called What Nile Saw. And if you want a first-person account of a eight-year-old or eleven-year-old dying of radiation sickness, I would not recommend that book because of that reason. <laughs> wow. Yep, the eighties were a hell of a time. Okay, so, moving on. Moving swiftly on. Yes, I mean, the idea of... Because having read the, the Charles Strauss story, where they were using... If I remember correctly, they were basically using this mythos-infused dimension next door as a transport mechanism. So the idea that things have gotten so bad that moving there is actually a viable option. Mm. is kind of horrifying. Yes, it was a definite... Um, this was, yes, this was their kind of the last resort, but the impression you were left with it was a only as a very last resort, and that place was kind of existentially hostile to things that weren't gibbering monsters. And may have received gamma ray bursts at one point. Eh, it's probably the least of its problems by the sounds of it. Sorry, I'm just recalling that that story was also the one that had the uh, Russians, the Russian having a May Day parade with basically shoggoths under tarps, their semi-controlled servitors. Yeah, so so clearly going to the neighbourhood madness dimension seemed like a good idea at the time. Yeah, a lot of things do. <laughs> Shall I throw out my O'Neill colony idea just to get it out of the way? Go for it. All right. Okay. So, O'Neill Colony, basically big space cylinder thing. Most of the artist's impressions that I remember from kids' books on, you know, you will live in space, always represented O'Neill Colonies as being the sort of the big cylinder. You've got the big win strips of window with, with mirrors to reflect light in. And it is very much 1950s and 60s American suburbia in space. You had sort of flat-roofed bungalows. You had people having cookouts in the backyard. That was the vibe. So that's kind of what I started with for my idea. And you know, we're assuming that O'Neill colonies, or at least an O'Neill colony, is a thing at the point that World War Three starts to ramp up. And so when the fighting started to break out they evacuated the orbital colony because it's an incredibly fragile thing. Anybody who wants to take a shot can just kill absolutely everybody. So they evacuated it, and they evacuated it fast. 
So there mm. wasn't time for sort of an orderly evacuation. There wasn't time to do an, an atmospheric transition into something that was more stable because oxygen's kind of corrosive. And so they had to improvise. So they basically set the mirrors to winter so that it didn't just freeze solid in there and that you had kind of enough enough heat transfer that you didn't have too many problems. And they slowed the rotation down so there wasn't as much mechanical stress on the system. Right. And the plan was always to come back. They put it on snooze mode. Yeah. Pretty much. They put it on an improvised snooze mode. You know, yeah. An actual snooze mode probably would have meant switching the atmosphere to very high concentrations of carbon dioxide so that the plant plant life is going to be okay, but it's not going to corrode everything. Yeah, there'd be a whole system. Yeah, They had to wing it. And that was 20 years ago. Survivors have finally managed to bootstrap a a shuttle or a launch system together to get back up there. But the magnetic bearings basically just lost oomph. And so the dock is frozen in place, which is, so it's rotating along with the colony. Mm. And once they eventually figured out how to dock and how to get inside... They discover that the foliage inside has has demonstrating just what a plant can do with a bit of time and a functioning ecological system, and one sixth of a gravity of of a g. Right. And so somewhere in there, in this tangle of vegetation where you've got trees that have basically grown up to the rotation axis and just kind of gotten themselves tangled with the trees from the other three or four kind of strips of, of, of habitation that have done exactly the same thing. Yeah, Somewhere out there, there is the control system for the mirrors and the power plants, and maybe even the thrusters so you can spin the thing up. And somewhere out there, there's probably the descendants of the household pets and the livestock that didn't get evacuated, and the, the larger farming stock that couldn't be evacuated, and given that people are people, probably didn't just get put down as instruction said, but instead they just opened the cage and hoped they'd figure it out. And maybe even the remains of those people, it was rumoured, didn't actually make it off the colony at all. Hmm. So, abandoned doesn't mean deserted. Yeah, it just means... Well, it might be deserted. It might have enormous numbers of packs of wild dogs. There might be a crazy hermit. Hmm. That is quite a losty kind of um, vibe, which is yeah, not bad. Yeah, it's greenhouse jungle. I would expect that the, the 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 plants will have turned out very spindly and weird. Oh yeah, if you ever spin that thing up again, those trees are going to come down. I did think about just having, oh, they just stop the spin altogether, but then a lot of plants, are, to a certain extent, gravity-tropic and just get confused. Yeah. And I just really liked the idea of, you know, the classic... You know, classic Douglas fir type trees that have just grown half a mile high because they're in a really low G environment and they could. Also, if you wanted to discount random folks starting a space program and getting onto the um, onto the colony or the, the cylinder, you could just say there were some other survivors in orbit. They had stored food, and you know, effectively, it was a hardened satellite, something that may have been directing hostilities or something and and it, they did survive it but originally they, they, they you know their system was had a limited lifespan it needed resupply and they decided okay we're going to relocate we we from what we can tell the o'neill cylinder is still functional and it was left in an in, in a viable state by when it was you know, when people chuck uh, when people left 
which means the people involved understand the challenges and know what's going on. It's just that they've got a very compelling reason to try and figure it out. And yeah, I mean, I, I never saw very much of of Lost, but you are basically talking hacking through the jungle kind of um, territory, which is kind of a callback to uh, Kinemono's suggestion for the previous episode. Hmm. A bit more indoorsy, but yes. Mm, yes, extraordinarily indoorsy. Now just imagine what that plant life is going to do when you eventually do get to the mirror controls and turn the thing from winter mode to, okay, it's summer. It may freak out a bit. Yeah. At the very least, you wouldn't want to be like a hate fever sufferer, because that's going to get bad. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so exploring the mostly functional space station and evaluating it for you know suitability for becoming your new home. Mm. And it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I like that. I suspect a certain amount of it is going to be, what are we stuck with? Because, yeah, with the plant life, having had 20-odd years to adapt to a very low-G environment, if you start spinning that thing up again, you're going to have a lot of firewood for a very long time. Not that you're going to be burning stuff arbitrarily, but though I suppose those things are supposed to be like 20 miles long and you know have their own weather system, so maybe the odd campfire is not such a big deal. Hmm. Or you know, maybe you prep it ahead of time. You sort of make sure that the the trees that have actually grown up to the point that they've more or less hit the, the spin axis, you just kind of attach them to something so that they're steadied from the top. Uh, yeah, there are ways and means. Basically, yes, they are now... The, the, the tropisms that mean they grow away from gravity mean they grow towards the central pole. But also the light coming in would be coming at weird angles. So, yeah, if it's something that grows towards light... There's a number of the designs I've seen seen that basically involve kind of the the internal surface of the cylinder being divided into six parallel stripes that kind of alternate m- window and land. Often farmland. Yeah. Indeed. Each each bit of land is kind of opposite a window, and then there's a mirror there, and the idea is that the central axis of the thing is just pointed straight at the sun. Mm. And the the specific thing about the O'Neill cylinder, I think, is that the, you have two of the cylinders um, rotating um, rotating counter to one another, so that the you can keep them pointed at the sun without firing rockets and stuff to keep it stable. Mm. So, so yeah. yes, I was not able to imagine what happens when the bearings slowly fail. I mean, if they if they just suddenly seize up, I'm pretty sure what happens is you just tear the end off the cylinder. Uh, but if they kind of slowly fail and things stop rotating relative to each other, I wasn't really able to imagine what that would look like. But I suspect what you've got is something that's still mostly pointed at the sun, but has picked up a really weird tumble. Hmm. So it would be exploration, archaeology, and the odd unexpected polar bear attack. I'd probably steer clear of the polar bear bits, but, you know, whatever floats your boat. It does, I mean, it very, well, to a certain extent, it does um, depend on what the intended, whether when they built the colony they went with 50s Americana plus farmland, or whether they went with ecological replication. So let us have a stripe for sort of different, um, yeah, effectively a stripe of, of cylinder for different ecological environments that are still sort of compatible with the fact that you're all sharing an atmosphere fairly closely. Mm. So there's some some stuff you're not going to be able to get away with, but if you potentially had, okay, so there's the rainforest um, bit that we just 
water a hell of a lot more and crank the mirror open a little bit more. Um, that's the more temperate bit, etc. That could get interesting depending on what species you put in them. Mm. Have the monkeys ventured across the glass and are tearing up 50s Americanaville. I suspect you're not going to get huge diversity, even in a 20 mile sort of section. It's, you know, it's just, you probably want things optimized for producing food and oxygen and so forth. So you may end up with a fairly rigidly artificial environment. Yeah. There may be some decorative parts, you know, and they'll get a little bit weird. So maybe you won't be encountering like a forest, but maybe the entrance was near all of the, the pretty trees and so forth. Yeah, I mean, a certain amount of this is just, let's turn the knobs up a bit and make it fun. Because the idea of obnoxiously stereotypical suburbia sitting surrounded by, and in certain cases damaged by, trees that have grown a quarter mile high because they can, has a certain appeal. Uh, But it was mostly just based on that image of people having made it, made it onto the colony, managed to dock somehow, getting in there thinking, yes, it's great. And then they're basically just looking out at a, what the fuck is this situation? No, I like I like that idea. It's got a pleasingly retro, anti-retro vibe. I like that. So that, that's where you put it. And yeah, the idea of it's a tiny bit far-fetched that somebody would have made it back, you know, in 20 years from the surface. But yeah, folks coming in from, you know, maybe even like a returning mission or something. And so they, so they go, right, this is our last chance. We can we can recolonize the, the, uh, the this particular cylinder or cylinder pair and go from there so compelling stakes at least oh that that's something i hadn't thought of yeah if you had sort of the you know if you've got your 20 mile long o'neill cylinder then you've presumably got colonies in other bits of the solar system so what happens when those guys figure out a way to come home Mm. yeah that, that could be the source of of the people that yeah, you know, the the Mars colony was intended to be self sufficient, but wasn't there yet. Yes, it was. It was awaiting several um, shipments of supplies to make themselves completely established. Or you know, maybe they decided that they've started the terraforming process, and maybe they should find or check what those the bright flashes on the um, third planet from the sun <laughs> were. Yes, to see what's going on. Yeah, cool. Um, I had a similar sort of thing, but from a different kind of perspective. And, you know, I was thinking about the idea that this, you know, the idea of, of an abandoned colony is kind of weird, especially in the time frames that we're talking about, is that, that we may no longer, we're still approximately in a setting where World War Three is possible. More possible by the day, due to certain factors. But the, the amount of changes since, you know, the, the you know, the middle of the 20th century, shows that that's probably not always going to be the case. Things have, you know, developed substantially. We may in a situation where you're no longer dealing with two superpowers poised on mutually assured destruction. Seems to be working for us at the moment, but, you know, maybe that will change. Tying that in with the idea of a space station that's been, that's been established long enough to be abandoned seems... A, implausible though i think you had a good you had a good um approach to that the idea that it was evacuated for uh, safety reasons which you know makes perfect sense those things would not be well any sort of aggressive action against them 
they need to be reasonably tough just to survive. But you know, anyone who decides that they want to blow it up, you can blow it up pretty easily as the if yeah. got the, the, the wherewithal. So I was thinking about that, and you could even think of the possibility of if there is you know, a colony out there, whose is it, and could it have been a, effectively been a faction in the, in the conflict? Oh. If you've got the advantage of a gravity well, you don't need nuclear weapons. You just need mass. And you got the mass up there in the first place. <laughs> Possibly from the moon. It's not as, not as logistically difficult if, you, if you're if you set up there already. And if it was something like a, um, like a seasteading kind of thing, but in space. Some sort of wacky libertarian or like bioshocky kind of perfect society in space kind of idea that didn't work out okay and i also wondered maybe that you know the folks from space town whatever they're calling it i'm gonna call it space town space town it is definitely space town um what may have been even been seen as neutral um possibly attempting to um mediate the conflict or uh you know just try trying you know Possibly in a completely in a completely naive kind of way. I was kind of keen on making them literally above the conflict and feeling like that you know maybe they could contribute something. And the idea that I came f- that that I got from that, and also from what I had seen, there's been a a, a game recent, very recently, um, video game based on BattleTech. And in fact, Scott Manley was the gent who's going to get. I might get a few clicks out of this. He was um, not a battle tech buff by any means. I mean, he was wasting LRMs on bloody tanks. <laughs> Who does that? <laughs> but <laughs> the intro to it is interest is interesting. Is that the the canonical leader of the faction you end up fighting for basically says this is what this is what happened. This is this is history and how it played out. And you were there. The only thing I don't know is what motivated you. Were you there for honor? Were you there for, for um, you know, for glory? Were you there just for the money? What was the truth of what had happened? And the player gets to come up with that truth by playing the game and creating a character with a background and, and so forth. It's all very general, sort of high-level stuff, saying where you came from and what you and what you did. And your tactical decisions reflect how you played it. I thought. That was quite a neat thing. It was like, because it's a strategy game and you have set forces arrayed against one another and you've got your resources, you're trying to keep yourself together, the idea of it having a assumed outcome actually makes perfect sense. That's less common in role-playing games unless you think of things like zombie cinema, where the pro- the progression... And to be fair, if you're playing D&D and it, there's no... There isn't a TPK. Presumably the party, however they've been replaced ship of Theseus style over the course of the campaign, prevails. But that's, a, that's a, I think it's probably a different argument. But the idea that quite appealed to me was the idea that you had a couple of people from Spacetown trying to intervene, had gone, it's like emissaries of peace, to Earth, and because things were fractious and they thought maybe they could help, stuff goes to shit just clearly this this thing is this is deteriorating and all they can really do they 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 realize that their people aren't listening to them anymore the the problems are bigger than a couple of a couple of folks from space town can can deal with 
and it is too late for the pebbles to vote yes very much very much so and this is the story of how they got back home and what it cost the people that helped them as they tell it upon their return oh so the framework is these folks returned home and now they're telling the story of because they're a little bit of they're a little bit fish out of water they're not they're not part of the cultures um, you know as as immediately as they were they couldn't help but the tenor of the the times this this obvious in this approaching catastrophe meant that a certain kind of person went right we can't come with you but we've got no reason to stop you and in fact some of us think this isn't your war you should get out and they're trying to help them get to the place where they can get back into orbit and you know get back to their their hometown but it always costs them something maybe people disagree maybe something there's their problems interesting i think sort of some of the mechanisms applied in questlandia and so forth the idea that you're playing out you're not like playing particular characters but the idea that you set up challenges for one another to get around and to discover how you're going to make it back how these folks made it back and what things they overcome and what it meant to help to help them could be an interesting kind of tale very much sort of narratively one-off kind of deal Mm. this path is strewn with difficulties and dangers and yes literally the world is catching fire as this happens so things get more and more desperate aka the doom track or um whatever they call it in um zombie cinema uh yeah i forget what the term is but i know the one you mean um Doom Track covers most of those kinds of things. Yeah, Doom, Doom Track does cover it nicely. Got a couple of book references to throw out. I believe it's Ben. Well, it's Ben Bover. I believe the book was called Moon because hmm. he did basically a book per planet um, as a series, as I recall. And the Moon one was essentially about the lunar colony, and this is this is full on Cold War type stuff. So. The American and Russian lunar colonies, which were built right next to each other in a piece of misguided um, cordiality. <laughs> there was a brief thaw. They built they built moon bases. Everyone regrets it. Indeed, yeah. As tensions heat up, the two two lunar colonies get into a low scale sniping conflict. Sort their shit out mostly by deposing the people who. Uh, yeah, sent in from afar to more or less make that conflict happen. Mm. And then in an effort to stop the war occurring in uh, on Earth, basically seize control of both sides orbiting missile killer satellites. Right. On the basis that you know, each side has been building these things, each side has also been trying to take out the satellites of the other guys, and so nobody has a complete network. But if you put the two of them together, you do. Nice. And so that's very much the colony thinking they can help and trying to do it. Yeah. And also, if you don't have a um, defense network and you think the other guy does, you won't fire. (laughs) Indeed, yeah. yeah, Because I think one of the arguments in the book was the closer each side gets to having a complete network. Because it's not an all or nothing situation. Yeah, if your if your network is complete, then at least in theory you're going to stop everything. But if it's ninety five percent of the way there, 
you're going to be able to stop a lot of stuff. And if the other guy can't stop as much, you could squint and make that look like a win. Yes. Um, so there was that one. Hmm. The, the sort of returning people, there's, I think it's Niven, Pornell and Flynn book, Fallen Angels. Yes, actually, that was something I was thinking of. The idea of the folks, you know, the, the astronauts being hunted disguised and hidden by regular folks who only science sci-fi nerds so yeah it's more or less sci-fi nerds save spacemen also crystals are to blame (laughs) because there are large bits of the book that do kind of feel like they just set up jerry pornell in front of a recorder and then waved look jerry it's a crystal it promotes healing and then just recorded what happened Mm. recorded the shouting crystal healing uh yeah crystal healing and homeopathy or contributed to a climate change-induced ice age, science fiction fans save the spacemen. That, that's the, 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 the high-level high overview of that book. It's actually quite a good book. But mm, Indeed, indeed. And it seems much less ridiculous these days than it may have in the past. So, yeah. <laughs> that's a worrying thought that I hadn't actually thought before. So, thank you, Ben. Yeah. Cheers, Good on you. Yeah. <laughs> cheers, buddy. I'll just go and drink some of my homeopathic whiskey now. <laughs> yes hey, careful that stuff it is stronger when it's diluted you know yeah ice no no I'm driving <laughs> I think the idea of yeah making the challenge being making the challenges surmountable but interesting mm. so you're looking very narrative extremely yes there aren't charts and tables for that sort of stuff because well there should be consequences and there should be things that go wrong but the bit where you go, oh, <laughs> the dice hate us. I'm not sure what the system would be for your idea, but I kind of want to play that game. We'll have to try and figure that out. What else do we have on the docket? I had some ideas based on the original prompt, which were more based on an image of things rather than... Yeah, they've spun quite a long way from the prompt itself, shall we say. Mm-hmm. But it was sort of helped out by the news articles about the the sort of Mars simulation station in Hawaii. Mm, I had not heard about this. Ah, it's basically a, a NASA NASA project to effectively test out, okay, how might this shit work? Mm-mm. So it's on a on Mauna Loa volcano, mm-hmm. which is this big arid red thing. Um, so you're reasonably close to Mars already. Kind of evocative, yep. yep. Lots of crunchy regolith, I mean pumice. Indeed. And so, yeah, what I, I kind of had the image, the, the idea that yeah, World War Three happened, and it happened really, really hard. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, all of the, oh, we'll never use this weapons and tactics got deployed, and the world more or less burned to ash. So you've got radioactive ash, and toxic ash, and mm. plague-ridden ash, and pretty much most of the land is coated in this thick cloud of ash, blanketing the surface, stretching out to sea, and sort of rising high enough into the atmosphere to blanket the cities. About the only things that aren't submerged in it are very high-altitude towns in the mountains, where people could avoid the ash and maybe survive for a while, stranded above the clouds, but the only people who could do anything sort of survive long term or indeed leave their little pocket of safety were people in the various 
colony research stations. So you've got the the Mars research station I mentioned. And you know, having gotten curious as to how people would colonize Venus, there was apparent or there is apparently this idea that well, you can basically build something that'll float in the upper atmosphere of Venus, and because of atmospheric you know, atmospheric differences, an Earth type atmosphere is less dense than the equivalent volume of the upper atmosphere of Venus. Hmm. So you could basically build a great big bubble with a colony in it, and it would float in the upper atmosphere and be at roughly the same pressure. So if there's a leak, it's going to happen very slowly. Hmm. So, I mean, how you would simulate that, I figure, is probably kind of tethered high-altitude wind turbine. That was That was mostly the setup, but basically what kind of came to mind was the idea of the fact that the people on the Mars research station and the people in this sort of pilot program, te- you know, in a uh, tethered, sort of balloon tethered, high, uh, high altitude turbine are about the only people with spacesuits and filtration gear and the ability to go actually into what's left of the rest of the world. Hmm. And so I was kind of imagining these space-suited explorers and just fog-shrouded, dust-covered streets, possibly linked by, by cables to their portable um, sort of air filtration network, going through the streets, either looking for survivors in bunkers or just looking for supplies. Mm-hmm. Alternatively, if you're going with the, the tethered balloon thing, I kind of like the idea of, of going with the full-on deep-sea explorers. So you've got the same space-suited things, but you've got the cables basically stretching back upwards because they've been lowered down. Or possibly, if they're doing even more exploration, they've effectively got a sort of pump and snorkel thing on the end of a balloon that's up above the cloud so they can get breathable air. Hmm. It would kind of depend on what story you wanted to tell. Because, I mean, it would be fairly easy set up that you are telling the melancholic demise of humanity story. You could tell the tale of people trying to stay alive you could go with the piecing it back together story that they're out there they're looking for survivors they're they're trying to build a community up on the top of a mountain or you know, up above the clouds i quite like the idea that if you had one of the if you had the venus research station sort of somewhere near a big city that you've basically got those sort of polytunnel things that have been set up in a park because well, at least there was bare soil, and once they scraped away the to- toxic top layer, they could start growing shit. And so you've got gardeners mm. in spacesuits, sort of going to their greenhouses and then tending crops in what used to be Central Park. Mm. Or alternatively, you've got the story of let's see who else is out there. Let's let's equip a few people with the necessary gear to to move around and let's go see what the rest of the world is like. Basically, going going on a journey to find something better, and at precisely the right moment, a, a Kickstarter um, cropped up. Usual disclaimer, I have absolutely no knowledge of or, or connection with the person doing it, but it, basically somebody kickstarting a game that will probably be over by the time this drops, called Journey Away, which basically describes itself as a non challenge based mechanic so quite narrative which kind of struck me that 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 might be a good way of doing it if you have the the group that is journeying in their spacesuits through the um the toxic wasteland 
looking for anybody else who's out there. What is the story? What, you know, how, how does their story unfold? What challenges do they do they overcome? What situations do they run into? What what mistakes do they make along the way? Hmm. Cool. Plus, I just really like the idea of kind of spacemen as deep sea diver, even though again it makes no sense. <laughs> the balloon idea makes much better sense than trying to build a colony in an active volcano, which would probably be the next closest environment to Venus. Yes. <laughs> Oh, I think the, the pressure situation and heat situation is um, is an issue on the surface of Venus, since mm. I believe the lifespan of the probes were measured in tens of minutes. Yes, the, the diamond windows gave out, and the uh... the time that they actually had a sampling probe, but unfortunately, what it landed on was the discarded lens cap. Space travel ain't easy, indeed. So, so there was that one. I. I would be tempted to not go with the really... De- well, I mean, you could go with the full-on 10 candles, we're all going to die option <laughs> and just tell that story. If you wanted to do something really awful, you can do the... Um, oh, God. I, I don't actually want to play in the the NBC contamination version of zombie cinema where what is approaching is toxicity. Mm. That sounds utterly hideous to me. But there might be a fun game in there somewhere. Yeah. It would be harder to figure out the the challenges that you want to set and it's going that would that would be one of those games where you would want the party to have a lot of trust in the GM and if it's because like say if it's it maybe make more sense if it's not a challenge based and I'm sort of working that idea through my mind, I'll have to look at the Kickstarter and find out a bit more. But the idea where it's your very much the the first two, maybe three generations of role playing games were based on get a, deal with this this challenge, deal with this challenge. It's getting bigger, kind of um, kill it, take it stuff. Yeah, even even if it wasn't if it, even if it wasn't directly murder and looting, but you know, it, but they generally focus towards here is a problem, overcome the problem. I am giving you problems, give me solutions. So yeah, that's so I'm I'm taking from that as the kind of approach that they're going for. Yeah, interesting. It it did seem yeah, it's an interesting uh, kickstart. I haven't. It just sort of yeah seems to arrive at precisely the right time for hey, here's an idea. Because yeah, I'm not sure I would want to run the Mad Max in spacesuits game, and it would be easy enough for this to turn into the road, which I don't think anybody yes. wants ever. Well, I'm I'm sure someone someone's planning the yes they they're planning it as a tune expansion or something. <laughs> yes, two players, no hope. <laughs> okay, so have we kicked that idea to death? Do you think? I think that's that's good. That's enough for today. Um, shall we unsuspend the audience and um, let them know your the the news that you've got? Indeed, the news. Well, having more or less given up on the idea of finding any any gaming group that I could actually get to, because I do not currently have a car, I've got no particular desire to own a car, and while there are many gaming groups scattered around the, the local area, they are all in places where, in order to get to them, I would need to go into London and back out to get to a place that's less than 20 miles away. Which... Is just not, yeah, is not really a fun thing at the best of times, 
and they're often playing on weeknights. So it's just, it's a no-go option. And so I had pretty much decided, okay, for any gaming that I'm going to be doing, sort of face-to-face gaming, it's going to have to be conventions. And then somebody started up a Dungeons & Dragons meetup in the town I'm living in. So, nice timing. Just when you've given up hope, something nice happens. Brilliant. And yes, the the Aylesbury Dungeons & Dragons meetup, using Dungeons & Dragons in a fairly loose term for tabletop RPGs, had an initial meetup in the pub where nine people showed up, which is about four times what was expected, as I understand it. Wow, sorry, <laughs> that's, that that was that they weren't terribly optimistic, but yes, well, that's like two games, so that's that's a good that's a good showing. Pretty much, it was just kind of a, okay. So we've got at least two groups here. Um, somebody drove in from out by Milton Keynes, which is about a half hour drive away. And for our American listeners, Milton Keynes is apparently a running joke in England for being a. It's supposed to be a, like the perfect designed metropolis sometime in the 60s and 70s. And yeah, yeah, I first heard of it because it's where all the mutants lived in um Strontium Dog comic. <laughs> <laughs> it apparently has an unfeasible number of roundabouts or gyratories, depending on your traffic management language of choice. Yes, and they put pedestrian underpasses through underneath like most of these major roads and they've got large buildings you know like large tower buildings everywhere but apparently it turned the place into like this eerie wind tunnel which no where no one wanted to live i've I've never actually been to milton Keynes. apparently somewhere in there there is the original old village i don't know if it's the village of milton Keynes or just the village that milton Keynes was built around but somebody did describe to me at one point sort of going for a run in Milton Keynes and then suddenly discovering, oh my god, it's something real. Or at least something that doesn't look like it's out of a 60s brutalist um, dystopia movie. You should definitely go to Milton Keynes. That sounds I, cool. I, should, I should definitely go to Milton Keynes, yeah. But we, we have had a, a games taster night. A couple of games got run. I, I ran a Quags game, The Terror of Funky Island. It's kind of stretching it to call it a game, to be honest, but it it, it features in an episode of the Gutter Skypes, so I should probably link that, or that should probably occur in the show notes. Absolutely link that. And another person ran Red Market, or Red Markets. Yeah, Red Markets sounds amazing. That's one of those ones I'm very interested in. Yeah, it seems quite dark, was kind of oh, the vibe yeah. I was getting. Yeah. Yeah. Basically... It's basically a zombie apocalypse, and most of the world is now referred to as the loss. Mm. And takers, I think, is the, the term for the, the, the player characters who go out and attempt to salvage crap from the loss without getting mauled, infected, shot, eaten, whatever, by the various mm. um, unsavory inhabitants. And one of the primary mechanics is finding cool things is great. Except it costs you money to it costs you resources to maintain cool things, and maybe you want to be putting those resources towards saving your life the next time something goes horribly wrong because it will, or mm. stacking it away so that you can escape the margins of society and go somewhere where there is healthcare and fewer zombies. I forget the exact language that the the guy running it used, but it, yeah, basically had to do with everything is a transaction. Everything has a value, but there's a better description than what I just gave. 
Don't, mm. I'm quite keen to see that. And it seems to be a bit down on uh, capitalism in its own way, which is an interesting take to base a game on. Yeah, I, I can't tell from the description whether it is an enthusiastic argument for extreme free market capitalism or an argument against extraordinarily extraordinary levels of free market capitalism or whether I'm just reading too much into it. Most arguments for extraordinary levels of free market capitalism are arguments against free market capitalism. Often, you know, you're taking taking anything too far. Yeah, it does have has that sort of effect, but yeah. Yeah, sufficient levels of enthusiasm are indistinguishable from parody. Yes, indeed. What's the um what's the, the what's that called? I mean, my my go-to thought was Brexit, but that's just me. <laughs> There's a, there's a particular term for satire being indistinguishable from fanaticism. Uh, I've heard of it referred to it as, as the onion effect. Partially, uh, yeah. It starts with P, I think, but I've forgotten what it is. That's cool. So, was was the terror of Funky Island well-received? They seemed to enjoy themselves, yeah. I mean, I've run that game three times. Um, like I say, referring to it as a game is frankly something of a lie because what it is is a starting scenario and then winging it and so different groups have taken different approaches uh the gutter skypes used weaponized oatmeal i think another group just flat out tried to nick everything this group basically went with slapstick they they seem to be quite keen on slapstick and so it was just okay fine let's run with that which means that the phrase plant-based tree lube is now a thing in my head and yours. You're welcome. <laughs> it it was well received. Hopefully there will be more more game sessions. This is still in the how do we even do this stage of a of a role-playing group. The person, yeah, the the meetup at the the first meetup at a bar was very much a okay, what have we got here? How could this potentially work? Whether this turns into the, okay, we book out a community centre or conference rooms or whatever for one night a week and people run games, or whether it turns into more of a, well, this is going to be a clearinghouse for people to organise games that are run in somebody's lounge, I think we're still in the Hmm. time-will-tell phase of things for that one. Uh, But at the very least, I I got some GMing in, so... Yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome. Bless the Ellsbury D&D Club and all who sail upon her. Um, and may you may it avoid running any actual D&D for as long as possible, just for the irony. <laughs> okay, that would be pretty funny. <laughs> now that you've put the idea in my head, I will make no... I, I, will, I will not try to influence it in either way, just to see how long it takes before a Dungeons & Dragons game happens. Yes. Because <laughs> that is pretty funny. Just, just uh, imply it's like Alcoholics Anonymous. Of course, there aren't any drinks. <laughs> Hi, my name is Craig. It's been... Hi, Craig. <laughs> it has been a number of years. Hmm. Maybe four years since I've played Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> I think I played Fifth Ed at uh, Gen Con. But that might have been Pathfinder. I'm genuinely a bit hazy. It, they can be confused in a you know at a low light. That's for sure. 
Well, no, I, I don't know that for certain. I, I probably need to unpack my my antipathy for D and D because it's it's not about the game. It's not about people play the game. I think it's because the game is just the nine hundred pound gorilla, and there are so many other options. And when I think about, you know, I could totally run that, provided you know if I spend the money on the books and you know do some reading and go, aha, they don't use Thacko anymore. Sure, but then. The, the life just leaves my body, and I go, but what about all the other games? <laughs> D&D is ubiquitous. A given group not playing D&D will not hurt D&D. Yeah, D&D does not care. D&D does not need you. That got creepier than I expected, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, that, was, that came out a bit weird. But no, it's, it's quite true. It's, it's as healthy as any anything, and, you know, and there are people who will continue to play all of the editions... Um, even, you know, Spelljammer, and yeah, it's under no threat. I always wanted to play Spelljammer. <laughs> I always wanted to play Dark Sun, actually. Um. But there are all these other things which are different sorts of experiences, because D&D's got a constrained sort of... It does well at what it does, because it, it has a fairly constrained kind of thing. And there are other things to tell other sorts of stories with. So Yeah. So... Good luck with that. Um, and yeah, let us know your your progress with the group and whether you manage to kick off. It sounds like they like comedy, or at least silly. Again, hard to distinguish at a you know at a at a distance. But yeah, well, I mean, to be fair, the choices were, but there were basically two people there that night who were prepared to run games then and there. And so there was the chap who ran Red Markets. Mm-hmm. And there was me, and so the choice choices were between red markets and a light-hearted, silly game of pirates based very loosely on the Monkey Island uh, games, run by somebody who'd never played any of the games. Oh, that's <laughs> fair. I mean, you can get Let's Plays online if you want to get the the humour down. That's a that's not that's not a big challenge. Um, I think I just watched you the... playing, or maybe Tonya. Probably. It sounds like somebody went for the, the you know the the, the, the edgier stuff and the, and you you covered the gaming nostalgia and comedy angle. So yeah, pretty much you yeah. That. Yes, I have just been building up a supply of okay. So here's game pitches for ideas with a certain degree of you know I know how this will work. This one might work. We'd be figuring this one out as we went along, kind of territory. So we'll see what mm-hmm. happens. Cool. Hopefully, yes, hopefully there will be more meetings. Hopefully we'll figure out figure out a way of doing things, ideally on a weekend, because then more people can come. Yep, that's all good. Alrighty. Well, I guess that is it for Survivors of World War Three and their lost... No, it's not a lost colony. I'm harking back to the, to the TV show. In the abandoned colony. <laughs> In the abandoned colony, yes. <laughs> Not not the abandoned Connolly. That would be weird and sad taking care you so having to care for a aging Scottish comedian after World War Three. I mean you could run it as a comedy game? Yeah, it could be a bit bed sitting room, I think. That uh, Spike Milligan play about people turning into inanimate objects and I I was confusing it with a Harold Pinter play, so the Spike Milligan one sounds more entertaining. Oh, it is apparently it was even filmed, and the, the we'll find the trailer. It's just batshit insane, but it's Spike Milligan. 
Yeah, that, that doesn't surprise me as much as you might think with Spike Milligan. Fair enough, yes. Spike Milligan was an interesting guy. All right, so, yes. Thank you for, for, for listening. Thank you for your ideas. Thank you for the actually quite challenging, as it turned out, prompt. Hmm. It looked quite specific. I'm, I'm a little... I'm not aware as why it got the uh, that one word dropped out when it is you know quite significant. I might, I don't know if I was was being censorious at the time or just forgot. Like I said, but yeah, <laughs> it's like fucking Stargate. <laughs> and is it even your handwriting? I don't believe so. But it ah. transposing uh, transpose uh, that's what it says on the card. But I transposed it into Trello. So right, okay. Either that or it's a clear indication that you're not actually drawing these cards. You're just going from hazy memory of, oh, there was something roughly like this. <laughs> I don't know. There was a dog or something. Speaking of which, I do need to make up some more prompts for next. <laughs> I'll just assign them to random forum users and, you know, we'll go from there. Well, as long as they've been there for long enough, yeah, they've sort of been listeners for long enough. They'll never know. Nobody keeps records on this. Then we discover that people keeps records on this. <laughs> Meticulous. <laughs> invasive records indeed all right so yes thank you everybody indeed thanks for the contributions and fascinating ideas stay tuned for our next episode which will be drawn by ben at some point in the future completely based on existing factual pieces of cardboard and not just generated at random excellent excellent yeah and our next episode is word salad what the hell <laughs> it's what what it looks like when someone just rolls their face on the keyboard. <laughs> All right, take care, everybody, and we'll see you next time. All right, bye now. Want to hear more of our shenanigans? Then go to hoarde.net and click on the button that looks like a couch. The Big Red Couch is released under Attribution, Non-Commercial, Sharealike, 3.0 Unported from creativecommons.org. All music on the show comes from the album Universal Fluff Theory by Krakatoa. Visit them at krakatoa.com or follow the link from our page. See you next time.